And we always hate it when the obituaries are the first thing on the show, but yeah. uh, man, it happened just this morning as we were getting ready to record. And uh, Tim, you are just fresh back from St. Louis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm so sorry that that's the news you came back to, but we have lost Ray Liotta. Yeah, man, just, uh, and you know, I, I, we say this out of nowhere. They're all out of nowhere. I mean, nobody, nobody was sitting around yesterday saying, hey, you know who's going to die tomorrow? Um, uh, so they're all out of nowhere, but some of them has just has this sort of sense of being out of nowhere. And, and, uh, so that was one. This is one. I saw the really what? Um, you know, Ray. 67. Only 67. 67. Only 67. It's not that much older than me. I'll be 61 in, in a couple of weeks. And, and, uh, so that, so it bugs me for that reason <laughs> alone. Yeah. Plus it's Ray Liotta. And, uh, we, you and I and Ray, our good friend Ray and Mark, uh, and a you know, Mark of the show here, uh, chit chatted in some emails about this. Ray brought up something interesting. Um, why, why Martin only went to that well once. Uh, yeah, for good. Why? He, why he only? He, I mean, Scorsese uses people repeatedly, but he didn't use Leota more than Goodfellas. That was it. Mm. That was their one and only foray together, which is still arguably the definitive uh, signature role of his career. Yeah, and um, uh, in, 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 in in films and film in the genre. And uh, look, I, I did the junket for something wild ten thousand years ago, nineteen ninety. Actually, I think it was. that basically launched him. That launched him. Uh, him, Melanie, Melanie, you know, Melanie Griffiths within that film, wonderful film. Who, who, who else was it? Jonathan uh, Demi. Jonathan Demi yeah, directed. Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that was a young Ray Liotta. Uh, great looking Ray Liotta when he was still doing sex symbol sort of stuff. Menacing sex symbol, but, you know, sex symbol. And over the years, you know, he sort of morphed, uh, into, into a number of, of different kinds of characters and, um, uh, and, and, but never, never really lost it. You know, he was always Ray Liotta. Um, never stopped working, working, um, when he passed away, I forget where they were, but, uh, basically went to sleep and didn't wake up. Um, he's got a whole lot of stuff in the can, uh, technically speaking, three films, three films filming, um, uh, a cocaine bear in post-production and a few other things. So yeah, man. Wow. Uh, Ray Liotta. It's a, it's really sad. You know, I, uh, I was on film week this week too. So we, we talked about it as well. And, uh, I, I I look at a lot of his uh, other roles as being sort of indicative of his his range too. No Escape, for example. Mm. You know, Martin Campbell directed that. That got Martin Campbell his James Bond roles. But that movie works because of Ray Liotta. And Ray Liotta, yeah. not an action star, but he is one in that movie. Kind of a for those who haven't seen it, it's kind of a um, you know, Ernie Hudson also really great in that movie. It's kind of a an Escape from New York uh, type deal. Yeah. It's an Australian-made film with Ray Liotta and Ernie Hudson in it, and uh, you know he's a he's a military guy who uh, who for reasons that you find out later on he's an you know ex marine he's been dropped onto this prison island with all these hostile prisoners and he's got to make his escape off or you mm. know again escape from New York but he he nails that movie and I think you know Martin Campbell's career directing James Bond movies you you got to give Ray Liotta some props too because he. He made Martin Campbell look good with that performance. Also, um, the very the sh- next year, yeah, Karina, 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 beautiful. The movie. very next film is Karina, Karina playing yeah. that playing that father, uh, 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 the, 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 you know, Whoopi Goldberg and him and, and that little girl Tina Marjorie, and he played that sort of wonderful father. And I got to tell you, even looking at the poster 
of that film. It's it's Ray and 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 and, and Whoopi and the little girl, and they're just laughing, smiling. Look yeah. at the poster of that film makes me happy. Uh, yeah. I I love that movie, but it was a, a completely different character that he brought playing that sort are- of loving father. And these are and these are smaller parts. These are not the ones he's known for, but they sh- they show his range. They show his his sensitivity. Um, he was also not above making fun of himself. I think my favorite Ray Liotta performances are the two episodes that he did of Just Shoot Me, in which he <laughs> in which he plays himself. Now, now for those who you know remember Just Shoot Me, right? David Spade and it, you know that takes place in the publishing world in New York. Just a great silly oh, sitcom. So good. Launched so good. a lot of people, but Ray Liotta showed up in a couple episodes of that thing where he is absolutely smitten by Laura San Giacomo. He is so smitten by her that he promises he will give up his career for her. It is hilarious, and he is so funny, and he is so sincere, and such a he has that hang hang dog look, that puppy dog, those puppy dog eyes, and it's a great little bit. He's making fun of his own persona straight up on a sitcom. takes a takes a a really confident actor to be okay with doing that. Oh yeah, he well that's well. I I hope that we remember as we we continue memorializing him just how great. Uh, uh, a range he had. He was funny, and he and he, he 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 was not just a a movie star, although he was a movie star and led movies. Uh, he was a great second lead uh, on in, in movies, TV shows. Uh, uh, he was in Hannibal, uh, the 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 uh, the uh, 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 sequel. Yeah. The Silence of the Lambs, and he has that whole great scene right at the end where the, the thing with the brain and, yeah, and everything. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins is eating his brain, <laughs> and it's just great. And uh, and 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 he was down for it, uh, sort of all the way through. Um, con- completely coincidentally, earlier today, running on uh, one of the local broadcast television networks, movie networks, uh, Goodfellas, uh, and, uh, and 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 yeah, great in Goodfellas. But one of the one of the things that's really fantastic about Goodfellas and him and Goodfellas is his his voiceover that voiceover in goodfellas yeah. you know, generally speaking not a fan of the voiceover you know uh you, you gotta have the good. right texture to your voice it's, it's it's he but he somehow him martin martin and him but yeah. his that his whole narration of what's going on and he says that and, and he does it with that little smile in his voice all the way through and it's just really really fantastic uh so you know he just could do he could do it all and there it is Ah, such a such a sad loss, such a sad loss. Well, and then we should talk a little bit about Top Gun, which yeah. opens this week. And um, you know, look, I saw it. I loved it. Uh, it's weird because everything I love about it is what I hated about the first one, but that was decades ago, and I was a snotty uh, usher at the theater where Top Gun opened, and I was very, I had a real sense of superiority. Oh. Everyone's liking this dumb Tom Cruise movie. It's so stupid. And here I am decades later. I'm looking at Tom Cruise and I'm, I'm looking at Tom. I'm thinking, man, he is holding it down for all of us who are close to that age or over mm. that age. Mm. Thank you, Tom. And yeah. I'm watching the film and, and I'm, and I'm getting weepy eyed when, when all the, when all the beefcake, the sweaty bodies on the beach start playing uh, football as opposed to volleyball. And I'm like, oh, it's just like the volleyball scene that I hated the first time, but I love it now for some strange heterosexual uh, reason. I don't understand. Uh. <laughs> so nostalgia is a weird thing, man. It, it just, um, it's strange, but well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, you know, uh, they had to put a pause on it, you know, through COVID. 
That's partly what it is, right? It's, 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 it's that we, we see this film not just as a film, but it's something that is bringing us out of COVID. It's bringing us back to movie theaters. It's like it, it's taken on mythical stature as the movie that is, is pulling us out of COVID. And, and look, uh, uh, 86, the 86 film, Tony Scott, and you, you, in the ensuing years, we lost Tony, of course. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but for Tony, you know, you got a whole lot of uh, return of Val Kilmer, you know, and Val Kilmer's had a tough run in the last 40 odd years, uh, dealt with some throat cancer and things like that. Uh, but Val, uh, manages to, uh, to, to, to get himself back uh, in good enough shape to get back in this movie, uh, in good enough stead to get back in yeah. this movie. He's, he's an admiral. He's still the ice man. So, you know, you gotta love that. And, yep. um, you know, uh, I, 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 so I appreciate all of that. And then you got all the new young boys, all the new young, you know, you know back Miles yeah. Teller, whose career is really just wow. From, um, from that drumming movie to, to now, he's, you know, he's running around in that, in that, uh, that Coppola movie, that movie about the Godfather, and, I should say. And I, and we should just point out that Miles has been hitting the gym. Yeah. If you go back not too long, Miles is just a skinny kid. Yeah. Uh, and man, somehow he put on like 40 pounds of just raw muscle. Dude's got abs and pecs and delts and the whole thing. So whoever did the training in this, they turned Miles Teller into, uh, into a beefcake. And that's saying something. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I imagine Tom hooked him up with all the best people because Tom, because <laughs> <laughs> Tom, uh, uh, yeah, Tom is my generation. Yeah, Tom and I are both 60. Uh, yeah. uh, so, so, so uh, Tom is, is one of the cats. And you know, I say this all the time and you know, and I, it might be a bit of hyperbole, but, but he is literally, in my opinion, the last movie star. Amen, brother. He is. Uh, you he's know, he's exactly the last he one for whom we, for whom his name is the thing for which we are going to the movie for. But I'm going to be hopeful here. And I, and, and if anybody hasn't seen the trailer for Mission Impossible, the next Mission Impossible, you, you got to, because like Top Gun is just the warm up. I mean, that trailer is through the roof. That is phenomenal. I can't, I just can't even believe what he's doing in that movie. Uh, here's the thing. Yes, he's the last movie star, but I'm also going to say he is also the first movie star because we're mm. going to get him back. Mm. I think Tom Cruise at this point in time is, is now a beacon for what this business has to do going forward. We need to start now that people are starting to get Marvel fatigue and franchise fatigue and brand fatigue. Um, it's time to kind of cu start cultivating those movie stars again, those celebrity filmmakers, those celebrities, those celebrity screenwriters. When we used to know names, when we used to know names like Spielberg, like Joe Esterhaas, like Shane Black, Tom Cruise, and all the other stars. I mean, yeah, we've got the George Clooney's and the Brad Pitt's, and there are other stars, but like you said, the movie star who opens the movie and we yeah. go to see the movie for them. Tom Cruise is showing us the way, and it's time to start cultivating some more of those again. We need some. Well, more. is that fair? Hey, you, are you going? The question would be: Are you going to go see the new Tom Cruise movie? That, 82, 80, 80, 80 this, eighty that, or whatever. That's that's what you're going to go. If for that, even there was a moment, are you going to see that new Tom, Tom Hanks movie? You're going to go see that yep. new movie? There's a lot of them. A lot of them. Uh, Julia so Roberts. Julia Roberts. Going to see the Julia Roberts movie? What's it about? Don't know. Julia <laughs> 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 well, Roberts is in it. What the hell does difference does it make? What it's about? <laughs> it, 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 but you know, and, but you know, times come and changed and streaming and the stuff we always talk about. Yeah, and uh, and uh, so all kinds of perfectly good reasons for why that changed. Tom is still at the top of that list, I think. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know, anyway, um, um, uh, looking forward, looking forward. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'll go get. I'll go get a hold of it tomorrow. 
It is. It is. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun. And look, I mean, the 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 enemy nation in it is mm. unnamed. They very deliberately don't show you anyone's faces, so you can't make any uh, any racial or ethnic identification to any part of the world. You don't know if it is. It, it's sort of kind of like uh, uh, Chirushiran. <laughs> Something, something like that, maybe. Well, in, the, in that first movie, of course, they had to come up with a sort of whole cloth sort of reason for them to be kind of, because, you know, we it was cold. Just, so they came up with a real sort of whole cloth thing in that first movie to put to put the fighters in jeopardy, uh, real battle jeopardy, uh, as as they were these young trainers. Um, uh, and, you know, whatever. Uh, they, they say, I had already done, in 1986, I had already done my six years in military service in the Air Force. But they say... That that movie drove a whole lot of um, young 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 recruitment. people, young men to re- recruitment, and then they some folks are anticipating perhaps a similar sort of situation uh, this time around. And you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure. I believed that then. <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you, having having spent six years in the Air Force, I'm thinking yeah, this is great. But you know, I don't think so. Um, but uh, but you know, whatever. It's uh, it's it's a cool thing. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Well, let's let's launch into uh, Blu-ray and DVD now. We've got uh, got a lot of stuff. We have not covered foreign in a while, so I want I want to blow through a, some foreign stuff right off the top here. We we have uh, we have accumulated. You know, we're still dealing with a lot of COVID backlog here, mm, yeah. and uh, there are, there are some supply chain issues related to DVDs and Blu-rays too. We should point out uh, fewer places pressing them these days, but. Want to catch you up on a few things. Some uh, really amazing foreign titles have come out over the past few months, and uh, a whole bunch. I'm going to start off right now with the uh, the FW Murnau stuff from Kino Classics. There's a lot of this, so just so everybody understands, uh, this is not all necessarily um, uh, straight up foreign foreign, but it, I mean it kind of is. It's it's from the FW Murnau uh, library, the catalog where they are um, not just restoring Murnau's titles, but they're restoring things that are, that are sort of part of the German library and part of the, uh, the expressionist tradition. So, uh, and a lot of this is done in collaboration with the uh, British Film Institute as well. Um, so first off, uh, from the Murnau library, in, they have a Douglas Sirk collection. So it's the Murnau library, the Douglas Sirk collection. It's a double feature uh, to New Shores and... Um, uh, Habanera, some beautiful, beautiful uh, performances in here, especially uh, Zara Leander, uh, the uh, the wonderful Swedish actress that is not well enough known here. Kind of a, I mean, it has a real Hollywood quality to her. So uh, you know, some 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 good stuff in that one. Then we also have uh, Immense and the Great Sacrifice. Mm. This is with uh, this is a double feature with Christina Soderbaum. And these are kind of, again, you know, nice German melodramatic stuff from 1943, 1944. Um, uh, As we may know from history, this is not the best period in German history. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit propagandistic, you could say. Um, They are clearly kind of peddling a particular image, a particular kind of story. But... Nonetheless, they have historical value, and uh, I think that you know it's worth watching for uh, for Soderbaum. She's mm. uh, she is a a strong screen presence. Uh, FP one doesn't answer. 
This is uh, from 1932, uh, and then it also has Secrets of FP1, which is the English language version of it, which is substantially shorter. And uh, those are that was released about a year later. This is an interesting, weird kind of science fiction effort that is um, a, a little bit, it's got like a harbinger of what's going to happen in Germany because this, the Nazis had not quite fully taken over, but you can feel kind of a sense of uh, scientific superiority in this thing. Mm. It's all about creating this giant uh, airborne airport, this like uh, airport in the air, which can be like a, a it can it, you know if you're moving between continents, and it sort of suggests like a the Superman concept that is going to become very much a part of uh, Nazi ideology. It's not an ideological film, but it is, it's interesting in that uh, historical context. Um, Conrad Veidt is particularly awesome in this. You know, he originally was the star of The Man Who Laughs, which was the inspiration for uh, The Joker, especially in Matt Reeves' new film, which we're going to be talking about later when I get mm -hmm. back into uh, name-dropping mode. Uh, we also have Port of Freedom by Helmut Kautner. This is a beautiful restoration of this movie starring Hans Albers. Um, it's again, a little bit going, to, there's going to be some degree of, uh, of controversy related to this, just given its historical posture, where it sits vis-a-vis -vis the Nazis and, uh, World War II and, and all of that stuff. But, um, if you look at it just as a straight, nice melodrama, you know, that takes place in Hamburg and, uh, depicts the sort of pre-war circumstances in Hamburg. Um, if you can get, you know, kind of put Eddie's ideal shadows of forthcoming Nazi ideology away. Um, it's, uh, it's got some, some good edges to it. That being said, you can also read it through what was then an increasingly strict censorship regime and mm. see exactly what they're allowing to be said and what they're not allowing to be said. Uh, this is a hoot. I don't know if it's supposed to be a hoot, but it's a hoot. It stars a guy named Louis Tranker. And it is called The Kaiser of California. Now, my first thought was, I didn't know they made a movie about Mark. <laughs> uh, but, but what this actually is, this is a, this is a bizarre German Western. And there were a lot of these. They made them after the war too in East Germany. They made a lot of weird East German Westerns. Uh, this was made in 1936. And, uh, it's, it's weird watching a, a Nazi Western in German. Uh, it really is. It's just totally bizarre. Can't say that it's a very, very good movie, but it's weird and it's kind of, you know, it's well done and it's freakish and it's this bizarre, it's this weird, bizarre excerpt from history. It's, it's a very strange movie. So the Kaiser of California, if you want to get uh, a curious dose of that stuff. And then also. This makes sense though. I mean, it's, 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 a lot of those people lot, at that time, a lot of, a lot of Swiss and German citizens had immigrated to the United States. That's true. That's true. You know. they, they, yeah, but it's it's just it's strange. You know, cowboys aren't supposed to speak German. It just shouldn't <laughs> be happening. Shouldn't be happening. Uh, and then from uh, BFI, Man with a Movie Camera, the Ziga Vertov, oh, uh, yes. legendary silent film, which we all saw in film school. They still show in film schools. Uh, nice new Blu-ray of it with an audio commentary by Adrian Martin. Very, very cool. And a little background on Ziga Vertov uh, with mm -hmm. Ian Christie. Uh, the... Um, you know, Ziga Vertov, the name, not his real name, Ziga Vertov no. means spinning top. 
And uh, so that's a pseudonym. But uh, it was Kaufman, I think. Something Kaufman. I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah. It, it, there's, you know, the, this, this cool new score by Michael Nyman is absolutely perfect. The movie is just a trip. It's just a total psychedelic avant-garde trip. It makes no sense. There's some fun stuff in it where you're, you know, you're editing the film and then the film starts again. I mean, there's some really some very cool and aggressive stuff that was very unusual during the silent era. This is 1929, well, so it's right there on the cusp. Some people but, would say that's the introduction of a sort of cinema verite yeah, uh, documentary true. film style. That's, you know. But, uh, you know, for your silent library, that's a good one to have. Uh, Tous les matins du monde, I want to talk about for just a second, the Gerard Depardieu movie that also starred his late son as his younger self. Alain Corneau directed this. Um, this was, uh, you know, I this was kind of all the rage in 1991, uh, and I went. It was still, I think, I was there in 91, and I was there again in 92 for Cannes. But here's what I remember just being amazing about this movie. This was a phenomenon in France at the time. Now, the story is about an instrument that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, Depardieu plays the a, a historical, an actual factual figure who mastered this particular um, string instrument, which is um, sort of cello-like, but it doesn't really exist anymore. It's an obsolete instrument. Uh, and the soundtrack is all of this Baroque, very, very particular kind of classical music, which I wouldn't necessarily run out and buy at a record mm. store or a CD store. It'd be like, okay, if I hear it on the on the radio and I kind of lie down, it'd be nice to relax too. Might be nice if it was in a concert, but am I going to run out and buy an entire album of this stuff? <laughs> you know who did? Millions of French people. Mm. This was a hit album. This thing went like platinum in France. <laughs> Biggest, I mean, crazy, right? So, Tous les matins du monde, uh, meaning all the mornings of the world, is mm. uh, is a lovely film. And, and that was, uh, that was, was a couple of years after... Uh, green card it's yeah. sort of like big american moment with uh, yeah with andy i did the junket for green card that's the only time i ever met gerard uh i did that are, i did, green did card. you do you know that you on that junket too i did that uh, yeah. junket too yeah yeah it was good oh time. no 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 i take it back i didn't do the green card junket i did the um columbus junket oh yeah yeah that's yeah, what nice. i did yeah i did the um yeah with with ridley scott that was the yeah. one that i did and then we also have uh, Titan, uh, which won the Palme d'Or last year for Julia yeah. de Corneau, the uh, second Palme d'Or winner at the Cannes Film Festival ever to go to a woman after Jane Campion for uh, the piano. Um, they, this has a Q&A on it with, uh, du Corneau, uh, with du Corneau and Vincent Linden and uh, Agathe Roussel, the uh, actors in it. Um, I don't really know what to make of this movie. I'll be honest. <laughs> I... Uh, this this is sort of like uh, a female take on uh, Cronenberg that is like she wants to one up Cronenberg. She wants to mm. out Cronenberg Cronenberg, and it winds up being very cyberpunky body modification, um, gender bending weirdness at a certain point that I didn't really understand. I respect the craft of it, but I feel like it's a little bit too much shock factor for me. Um, yeah. What are the what are the what are those movies the the Japanese films that this is more like uh, the the Hammer movies? What are those called? The uh, something Hammer. Mm, uh, anyway, uh, Tim, your thoughts on Titan? Well, yeah, yeah, it was one that we were talking about. So, put me who's that movie? The Crash from several stuff. Not not the not the not the um uh the one with Elias Cahotis and 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ilias code and all that. That crash, that crash, yeah, the Cronenberg uh, crash. The Cronenberg yeah. crash. That holds the a lot of that sort of sort of thing going. What I, what, I, what I thought of this is Lyndon uh, is uh, is giving a, the performance of a lifetime. He really throws himself into this with all these sort of young uh, actors into the sort of thing, and it, but he sort of physically sort of like gets into it all. Uh, and um, yeah, it was it's sort of extraordinary in that way. There was there was a time when these sort of movies were were all the rage, a little less ragey for me now. Mostly now they're just nah. Uh, we also have a couple of films on DVD, not Blu-ray, from Icarus, which are by Mark Allegre, wonderful, wonderful uh, filmmaker who doesn't get enough credit here. Uh, one star, Lady Chatterley's Lover, starring Danielle Darieux, and Julietta, starring uh, Jean Marais and, uh, and Jeanne Moreau. Mm. Uh, both of these really, really beautifully made movies, both of them made in uh, the 1950s. Uh, Julietta was made in 53. Lady Chatterley's Lover, made in 1955, mm. fairly tame by the standards of the day. Um, you know, the, I mean, they were a little bit risque. I mean, for European films, were already more risque than American films. Yeah. But looking at them through a, through a lens of today, you're like, ah, eh, it's not not really a big deal. Uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, very very tame by what audiences might uh, even expect now. Mm. Um, but yeah, the I think they're both lovely. They're both really well done, beautifully shot. Uh, if you, if you, I, I wish they were on Blu-ray. I think uh, Mark Allegre is a filmmaker really well worth rediscovering, and yeah. um, has a great, great eye and a wonderful sense of pacing. But those are two beautiful, beautiful DVDs to pick up. Uh, Playground by Laura Wandel. This was in certain regard at the Cannes Film Festival uh, last year. It was most recently Belgium's submission for the uh, Academy Awards. It did not get accepted which is too bad because it's really quite compelling. It has a little bit of a Darden Brothers vibe to it. Um, interesting look at childhood. It's about this, um, this, this brother and sister, mm. this little girl, you know, uh, tries to protect her brother from being uh, humiliated and bullied. Yeah. And um, it, uh, it really immerses you in... Gosh, that that horrible moment of childhood where those those incidents are just so much bigger than they really should be, and uh, it's got a beautiful short film on it called uh, Foreign Bodies, also directed by Laura Wandel, and uh, I I think uh, Laura Wandel is a filmmaker to really really keep your eye on. I think there's going to be some great stuff coming out from her very soon. Yeah. But beautiful look at childhood. European filmmakers tend to have a much more pastoral look at childhood than than others. Um, let's talk about the uh, the Oscar the Oscar nominated Almodovar film Parallel Mothers, um, which I think should have won Best Actress for Penelope Cruz. Mm. She didn't get it. I thought she it was, would. It was a, it was a tough category. Man, it was a tough category. Also nominated for Best Original Score, but what a what a fascinating movie. Um, really, really interesting film. Uh, interesting take on motherhood. These two women. Uh, whose connection, whose connection in life and in motherhood, I won't divulge because that's kind of almost a thrillery trajectory here. But that's what I want to kind of mention is I'm starting to realize that Amadovar tells dramas that are structured like thrillers. Mm. Well, certainly, uh, if you think of the, the skin I live in, certainly, and, and even going way, 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 way back, uh, you know, timing up, timing down, uh, and certainly, um, so yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. 
and women, even women on the verge, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, it's, you, you, there's a tensity in them because there's always the threat of something uh, perfectly insane sort of happening. Talk to her. Um, yeah. uh, and of course, women, you know, Almodovar, you know, women uh, being, he, he has, he has a, a, a pipeline. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's a, he, he's a gay man raised by a single yeah. mother, but he has a pipeline. Uh, and maybe it's just a matter of listening. Maybe it's just because he listens uh, into the into the inner psychology of, of, of women, a certain kind of certain kinds of women, anyway. And I think that it's just that's interesting. And his movies are always amazing. And then we have a haunted plane movie, Row Nineteen, Evil at Thirty Thousand Feet. Uh, this is a Russian genre film. Uh, not going to judge the filmmaker, despite everything that's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, you know, this yeah, is a yeah. this is Wellgo has uh, seen fit to release this, so I'm going to trust them that we are not somehow helping finance the slaughter of Ukrainians with this. But uh, this is a Russian genre film. It takes place in a plane. Basically, uh, people start dying, and there's a physician on the plane who uh, starts to figure out that it has something. That, there, that it has something to do with her past. And um, it, it, does it all quite hang together? Not really. It's a resume piece. The director clearly wants to work in uh, in Hollywood. So that's what it's going for. And yeah. it will probably happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, special effects are practical and mostly practical and good. Yeah. Uh, DVD film also uh, was kind of a big deal at a, a number of festivals. Is Bloody Oranges? Uh, I this is a little bit too quirky for me. It's uh, French language. I believe it is French. It might be Belge, mm. possibly. Um, not that familiar with anybody in it, but it's a uh, it's a very very black comedy, almost too black for me. Uh, with uh, you know that that sort of looks at. Um, class, it's like a, a comedy of manners done with the darkest of instincts. Mm. And uh, these characters are all not very sympathetic. They come from all walks of life and their their interactions feel a little bit contrived to me. But it's stylishly made and it certainly makes its point uh, with a fist. <laughs> uh, and a few, a few uh, lingering ones here. We got a genre noir film, kind of a minor genre noir film. Uh, from 1925, silent era picture that's really significant more just if you want to be a completist. Uh, this is Whirlpool of Fate. Again, you know, it's it's the first thing that he ever did. It's rough. It's, uh, it's it, it, he's going for something that doesn't completely quite work. Um, he's young at the time. It was shot on the, uh, on the estate of Paul Cezanne because obviously his dad and Cezanne, you know, being great mm. painters of the, impressionist era that you know he could he could go to Cezanne's house and shoot a movie um so it's a it's a little bit of a student film type thing going on a, an overlong student film but you know it's it's got little flair in it and it's got some flashes of genius so for completists it's only it's pretty yeah, it's pretty it's pretty what you would expect from the uh, son of a uh, of a painter yeah. and uh then two uh Two kind of interesting, two great male performers of the era in a couple of interesting films. Lino Ventura in Illustrious Corpses and um, uh, Jacques Dufilio in Jean-Louis Trintignant's A Full Day's Work. Jean-Louis Trintignant, uh, in this case, directing the film. And, uh, you know, I, these are both from the 1970s. European films weren't that great in the 70s. They, they have kind of a dated 
look and a dated style. But there's a there's a thing going on here. The 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 restoration on um, a full day's work is is very nice. They did an original camera negative restoration in 4K. It's a Blu-ray, so you're not getting the full benefit of the 4K, but it's nice. Von Seidel shows up for a a wee little moment in um, Illustrious Corpses. Max Von Seidel. Oh yeah, that's yes, he does. He has a he has a little a little part in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, So I mean, these are these are kind of typical European genre films from the from that particular period. I think if I had you know a full day's work has has some comedic qualities to it. It's kind of a a um like a like a crime comedy of sorts. And I, I like it. I enjoy it. But again, I wouldn't, you know, run out and, uh, and, and grab this uh, with the drop of a hat. Just only if this is your vibe, if you like this particular style and genre of films. And the uh, very, very last one here is uh, A Taste of Blood, which is just a straight up silly, gory genre movie that, uh, you know, Spanish genre movie. It's, it's dubbed in English. You can watch it in the original Spanish track. I prefer to watch it dubbed in English because this is it's Herschel's, cheesier. This is, this is uh, no, Herschel it's not. This, not is, this is from this is from a, a director named A.K. Oh. Tolstoy. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, it, frankly, I prefer to watch this English dubbed as opposed to the original Spanish because the original Spanish is too legit. Okay. When you okay. watch it dubbed in English, it's cheesier, and then all the makeup effects and all the gore and all the nonsense. Uh, now it's a vampire. It's a silly low budget vampire thing, but when you watch it English dub, it just feels like it was made maybe in 1968. Does that okay. make sense? Oh yeah, <laughs> it makes complete. Okay. All right, hell yeah. All right, let's uh, so let's move on to some other things. We've got 4K. 4K. Let's, let's go to 4K. 4K. Let's, let's All right, about about the film of the moment, the the Batman, the Batman. Um, yes. uh, uh, yeah, which is you know, inter- interesting uh, out on 4K. Matt, uh, um, look, um, uh, to the extent that this uh, genre, this film, this film uh, could be revived yet again, um, I-, I suppose that he did a fairly interesting sort of conception of the world to, to, to place the Batman in. Uh, a couple of things that he did that I deeply appreciate is he didn't literally give us the very same Batman story, you know, Martha getting, you know, and everybody in the alley and, the, and all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we kind of start this movie. We're already there. Um, and, and somehow he manages to make it feel um, like a mid seventies, uh, you know, Serpico-y, uh Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Uh, saw the movie while at the same time being somewhat futuristic. Um, um, so, you know, um, Really loved Zoe in it. Could have could have could have used a good deal more of Zoe Kravitz. In it, as a matter of fact, yeah. Uh, um. Um. Uh, and and I don't know. I, I, I didn't hate it as I really anticipated doing. Really anticipating deeply, deeply hating that movie. It's also way too long. Um. Um. So. Um. And Jeffrey Wright, I think, I think gave really a fantastic performance in the film. great, great as, performance as as uh, right, Commissioner Gordon. Right, right behind a great performance in 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 that Bond movie. Uh, 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 you know, uh, did he get, and, and actually a really great performance in that, uh, uh, uh in that little movie, uh, you know, that the little movie that he did last year, uh, the, uh, oh, what's um, the yeah. other one, yeah, where yeah, you yeah, play yeah. James Baldwin. So, 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 uh, he, getting better and better and better, he is, but, but, you know, all in all, I don't hate it, uh, and I, and I expected to hate it, and I thought it actually had some things that there were, there were several things to, that go well in the Batman. 
I like the film a lot. I am obviously biased because I uh, I grew up with Matt and have known him since high school and um, starred in two of his student films, as I will continue to drop names. Mark used to mock me for not for dropping all the names. No, here's the thing. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read something. I have pulled out my phone. I'm into my text thread. And when Matt was announced as a director of this thing, however many years ago it was, uh, I, I texted him the following. Uh, so help me, you had better give Adam West a cameo. <laughs> oh, Adam was still with us. He did, not, he did not reply to that text. <laughs> I mean, why would he? But anyway, um, I'm still very proud of actually making that joke because I thought it was funny. That was eyes. Anyway, anyway, um, so <laughs> I here's what I here's what I appreciate about what he did in the film. Um, he, he's almost up against a wall in that the whole Batman thing has been done to death, and it's been mm. done by all these different directors with so many different actors that you have you're you're now kind of between a rock and a hard place. And the rock is you have to come up with something original. The hard place is there's all of this fan service that you have to include. Mm. You got you got to have the Batmobile. You got to have the utility belt. You got to have um, the Batcave. You've got to have Alfred. You've got to have recognizable villains that have probably been done before as well. So there's all of this fan service that has to be there. How do you do something original and yet different from the other movies that have all been done while at the same time being being the same? It's really an, it's a gnarly trick. And I thought he pulled it off. I thought he really went in, in this dark detective noir direction. He found a new way of kind of telling the story. Um, the Riddler is terrifying in this thing. I mean, that opening, that opening uh, murder sequence really, really sets you off. You just go, whoa, this is somebody else's Batman. This is not the same thing. So I think it's, uh, I think it's very, very sharp. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next one because there is going to be a next one. Oh yeah! Uh, shout out, shout out to Colin Farrell. Also, love Zoe, but love Colin Farrell. Unrecognizable, unrecognizable, which is what you want to be, you know, in in, in, a, in a situation like that. And, and and frankly, a lot of good work done by a, a whole lot of folks uh, in that film. Uh, you know, like you said, Paul Daniels Rittler. I mentioned Jeffrey Wright, Andy Serkis running around the movie uh, as Alfred. Uh, so so you know, a lot of good stuff. Uh, and the Batman. What's on that disc? What do, what do they give us? What, Just what, what, what hunt. Matt does a great commentary. Really interesting commentary. It goes into all the details. He doesn't hold anything back. It's really, really nice. And uh, there are tons of other b- deleted scenes, making of documentary on here that is just so in-depth. It's mind-boggling. Um, and they break down the um, the car chase, too, which is very mm. interesting. The, and, mm. and, that's a, and that car chase is you know, a beautiful car chase. It's very interesting to see it broken down versus how, for example, Christopher Nolan did um, a very different take on the uh, the car chase with his Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's there's just a ton of great stuff on here, you know, on on uh, on Zoe and Catwoman and all that stuff. It's it's terrific. It's really great. And 4K, it's just, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Movies Anywhere code, you get this thing popped up. I know you can watch it on HBO Max, but why would you if you can get the 4K on disc? <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, um, can, can we jump to, to the Candy Man? I was. That's just what I was pulling out. Let's okay. Candy Man. Candy okay, Man on either. 4K. Thank you, Shout Factory and Scream Factory. <laughs> Tons of extras on this thing. Holy cow! They went to town. 
Shout Factory just blew the doors off of this. Everything and then some that you have ever wanted to have. Uh, they went to the original negative. They did a new 4K master of it. Bernard Rose uh, and his DP Anthony Richmond oversaw everything. You've, they do a, a there's a there's a commentary with Bernard Rose, Clive Barker, and, uh, and the actors, including Virginia Madsen and Tony mm. Todd and Casey Lemons. Uh, I mean, it's it's there's a there's another audio commentary with uh, Stephen Jones and Kim Newman, who are you know um, who take a film critic and more critical approach to it. I mean, there are featurettes through the roof here, interviews, new interviews old interviews, stuff on the writing of it, uh, stuff on Clyde Barker. I, it's just hours and hours and hours. It's just an enormous amount of stuff for Candyman. Yeah. And I find that to be so interesting. Tim, your thoughts on this film when it was first released? Well, well did the can did, you did the, you know, we do, we do this every show. I just realized it's ridiculous. Uh, but I did the Candyman, I did the Candyman junket way back yeah. in 1992. Uh, 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 it, 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 which was great because I had sort of become a, l- a little bit friends with Tony Todd, uh, whom, whom, whom I still know, uh, because I, I had did the junket for, um, the remake of Night of the Living Dead, which Tony Todd started. And then, th- and then this film, Bernard Rose, um, a whole bunch of interesting stories about what Bernard Rose did to that Clive Barker novel, The Forbidden. Uh, to, to, to make that Candyman movie. 90% of what we, of, of, of what we think about, you know, the, what you say into the mirror five times and all that. That's Bernard Rose. That's not the Clive yeah. Barker. Uh, what I like, one of the things I like about this Candyman is, is that they, it's not a remake. It, it's a continuation of the story. And that they bring characters over, particularly Vanessa Williams character from the first movie. Vanessa was in the first movie way back in 1992 and she's in this movie. And, and we're sort of working this story in that, in that, um, uh, Jordan Peele sort of urban, socially, socially aware, uh, uh, horror construct that he does where he makes these horror movies and they're horror movies, but they're horror movies that, that, that are aware that we exist in a world that has all kinds of social constructs and that some of them do it, do it race and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and socioeconomic status. And he sets this one in the Chicago projects and, and all of that. The, the first one was set down in New Orleans and, and, uh, and Nia DeCosta. And they, and they, and, you know, they do some, some really interesting stuff in this movie. It's funny too. That's the other thing I like about this Candyman. It has a sense of humor, uh, while at the same time working the hell out of that hard beat. Uh, did they give us anything interesting on it? Just, I mean, all all this stuff, tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um, you know, the interviews, commentaries, it's just, it's so much. I mean, I, I got through like a fraction of it, just a, a bare fraction of it. But you do get, uh, you get both unrated and director's cuts, hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Um, Double Indemnity is out from Criterion in a 4K. Mm, wow. And man, is that beautiful. Uh, this is just, I felt like my television was turning to nitrate while I was watching it. It just, it, the silvers in this are so silvery. The blacks are dark. <laughs> it just, it, this is noir to the nth degree. I'm not even yeah. sure it was supposed to ever look this good, but Criterion yeah. has, uh, they've just totally batted this thing well out of the park. Um, tons of special features on here, and this is nice too because this was this hasn't been out on Blu-ray in a long time, so this is a real upgrade for everybody who's been living with the previous Universal release, which is not great. Uh, based on the book by James K- James M. Kane. Oh, yeah. Uh, so much good stuff on here. Uh, there's a new interview with uh, film scholar Noah Eisenberg, 
who uh, edited Billy Wilder on assignment and knows everything there is to know about this thing. There's a new conversation between Eddie Muller and Imogen Sarah Smith, film historians, really getting into the nitty gritty of this thing. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's just really great. And it includes the original audio commentary uh, by our late colleague, Richard Schickel, who just yep. grumbles and gives you all kinds of great details. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. A couple of radio adaptations. I mean, it's the original mm. great noir, you know, Fred McMurray, hey, and he's hey, just, he's, come on, just, how do you, yeah, 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 Barbara Kane, Stanwyck. The Kane novel, Billy and a little bit of Raymond Chandler working on the screenplay, uh, you know, it's going to crackle. It's going to crackle. I, and I still quote, you know the person I quote the most? Uh, Robinson. I quote him the most because I always talk about my little man. My little man. <laughs> I got my little man. My little man's talking to me. I've got a little man. We all have a little man. Some of us yeah. might have a little woman, but whoever it is, it's it's talking to you. Yeah, the double entendre lives inside this movie. So that's, uh, <laughs> oh, did, man, that's does it ever. Yeah. Uh, Beverly, Hills, Beverly Hills Cop 2 is on 4K. One of the few sequels that was just about as funny uh, in, in many, many ways as the original. I, liked, I loved Beverly Hills Cop 2. Love Beverly Hills I, Cop, but love I this movie. I think Tony Scott, I, I've gone back and forth. Which one do I like more? Because what Martin Bress did with the first film was was very funny, and it was fresh, and it was original. But what Tony Scott did with Beverly Hills Cop 2 was stylish and sexy and still very funny. And I yeah. think if push comes to shove, I think I may like Beverly Hills Cop 2 better. I think it ages better for me. It moves uh, a little bit faster. Um, uh, 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 Judd Reinhold and uh, and John Ashton a little bit more yeah. on the ball. They're not they're not antagonists to Axel in right. Beverly Hills Cops too. Right, uh, you know they're they're allies to Axel. Uh, in in that in in, in that and even Ronnie Cox is an ally. And plus, you got big giant Bridget Nielsen in that movie. She was still like this gigantic, oh. <laughs> this gigantic. Yeah, you know, just, so I don't know. Yeah, there's something about this movie that I I actually liked it more. I actually liked it more. And what you really get out of the 4K here is 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 primarily in the audio department. I mean, yeah, it looks great and it's splashy and, you know, 4K really helps with a lot of motion artifacts. But, boy, that uncompressed audio, that just that's just through the roof here. It's uh, crank up those speakers, get the, get the second subwoofer moving, and you will not believe what this thing does. The neighbors will complain. Boy, will they ever complain. Can we do 12 Monkeys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a, we yeah, got a, got a couple here. from... Back in '95, this was yeah. really this is really the thing in '95. Uh, this 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 film, uh, and uh, you know, as news you know regarding Bruce Willis has you know sort of set in, and we've all sort of uh, uh, let let that come to us. This this was Bruce Willis just really in that run of films, um, uh, you know, that, that middle part of his career after you know the the guy from all the Die Hard movies, right? Uh, but when he was doing those, these, these quiet sort of really acting pieces, uh, unbreakable and the guy in the, uh, you know, the, the IC did people movie, uh, you know, yeah. M night's movie and, uh, and, and all that kind of, and, and this was one of them. And, uh, and it was just a hell of a thing, this movie. And it's, it's still completely watchable today. I think they, they did a TV series or something, you know, based yes. on the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those, it's one of these movies because, you know, Terry had a, Terry had this, <laughs> Terry would sometimes really jack movies straight to hell. You know, he would, he would just, and he almost jacked this movie up. 
Uh, and his producers saved him on this film. Yep. Uh, 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 by, and it's one of those circumstances where I've always said really great filmmakers need someone around them who will say no. Um, so you're wrong. This is, and, and this is the, this is what I want to make mention of this because you told me originally to watch the documentary, The Hamster Factor, which is completely titled, uh, The Hamster Factor and Other Tales of Twelve Monkeys. And it's a feature-length documentary by Keith Fulton and Louis Pepe, who also did Lost in La Mancha, which was supposed to be another Terry Gilliam making mm. of featurette thing. But the movie wound up so going so far off the rails that they released it as a, as a as its standalone feature. Which, of course, as I've mentioned on this before, is very connected to our house because my wife was the person who ran the original due mm-hmm. diligence on the La Mancha project, tossed the script in my lap after she read it and said, can't be done. It's under-budgeted by half. And, uh, of course she wound up not be her, her advice was discounted. The movie was made, everything that she predicted would go wrong, did go wrong. And poor Fred shows up in the documentary. But in any mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. the original of those was the hamster factor. And you're the one who said to me, dude, you got to watch the hamster factor because it's in the, in this movie, Charles Roven mm-hmm. saves the film from Terry Gilliam twice. Yep. There are two key moments where he says, I yeah, think we ought to do that. And Terry says, no, 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 no. He goes, no, you're going to do that. And he, mm-hmm. and, he, and he calls rank. He pulls rank on him. And uh, he, he was right in both yeah. cases. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just save Terry's ass. And if, if Terry would have had somebody like that on a few films, frankly, um, uh, and you look, we could say things, say, to my mind, we could say that about a few directors. Yeah. Some, some, uh, you know, uh, 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 Coppola. Yeah, you know, you know I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm whispering. I don't know why I'm whispering. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but there are others who, who who don't need it. They know what they're doing. Uh, Scorsese never needed anybody. No. Uh, to, to 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 you know he's yeah. So I don't know what that is. It's just it's just a thing that happens. But I love this movie. I still love this movie. It's great. Based on based on on La Jetée by Chris Marker. I mean, a French filmmaker made a movie, a little low budget movie that's all still images and narration. And uh, Terry turned it into this thing thanks to you know significantly uh, David Peoples and Janet Peoples' great mm. screenplay. Roger Pratt, you know, shoots the daylights out of this thing as well. Uh, it's just a lot of talented people bringing the talent to bear. And it is great. And it is on 4K from Arrow, loaded mm. with extras. Um, Arrow's other 4K, I have some mixed feelings about. Mm. Let's talk about this for a second. Uh, this is Wild Things. Mm. So... I mean, this was, know. this was, this was, this was kind of, this was kind of, uh, um, I don't want to say scandalous, but in 98, when this movie came out, it was the thing that people were talking about. Yes. Some, you know, well, John was, McNaughton, John McNaughton had a moment because he had done Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and he was kind of this, this unusual studio director at the time. His career has not exactly panned out because he's a little bit hard to peg and that's, that's sad. But yeah, but this is this this is this really kind of gnarly quasi well, it isn't quasi, it's like an erotic thriller. It's just a straight up erotic thriller. And I don't know that the, the, the plot really falls together very well. It's it's very it's very clever. It's almost too clever by half in some of its mm-hmm. plot twists and you roll your eyes, and you go, that would never happen. They'd never there's no way. I'm not buying it. Um but at the same time, it's a great, beautiful quartet of people. Kevin Bacon and Nev Campbell, Matt Dillon, uh, Denise Richards, and, you know, Kevin Bacon has enough confidence to bear his semi-erect self coming out of the shower at the end of this thing. 
Yeah. But at the same time, I, 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 I just, I just think it's silly. It's sexy, you know, and it's meant to be. And it lived in that period with films like, what was the one that Sharon Stone did? The Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, she, Sharon did three or four of them. Sliver. Uh, yeah. She did, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she, uh, Madonna did one. Uh, you know, in, 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 in evidence, something about body of evidence or something yeah. like that. And it was the whole moment uh, with these movies. And this was, you know, this was, you know, the sort of back end of that period of these sort of movies that were meant to be, you know, walking on the edge uh, yeah. of things. And, you know, this one's fun. And, you know, Bill Murray has a fun moment in this movie. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I guess. Uh, a lot of extras. It comes with a booklet. It's a nice package. It's 4K. It's from Arrow, and uh, it's loaded with extras. Tons and tons of extras. It looks beautiful. Um, so take Tim's advice, not mine. Uh, <laughs> we also have got a few more on the 4K front here. Um, uh, let's do – let me do the, the new one, and then we can save these others for after. So Mark Wahlberg and, and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, who we're also going to hopefully get to in uh, Kinky Boots later – so Mark Wahlberg and, and Chewy, as they call him, made a movie called Infinite, which I had not heard of. It is now out mm. in 4K. Um, totally, I, 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 did this wind up in theaters? Paramount's no. releasing this. Where, where, no. what's, what's the deal with this? Do you know? I, I, I saw it on one of the streaming services, which is uh, whichever one that it ended up. Because it, it was kind of smack dab in the middle of the whole, what are we going to do? Are we going to release it in theaters? Uh, gotcha. Are we going to do this? Right, kind of smack dab in the middle of that. And, and I guess they pulled the trigger. The tr- it's Antoine Fuqua. Uh, big movie, in uh, uh, and, and uh, you know past life things, swords and, and 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 guns, depending on where and when we are in the movie. Great production value, not a remotely memorable moment in it. Um, uh, and, and 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 beyond that, I can't really tell you, tell you that I remember what the hell it was about. It's based on some book, uh, um, uh, but um, you know, I I I think it's probably found its best life uh, in streaming, really. Wow. Well, there it is. It's uh, a splashy-looking Antoine Fuqua film with uh, Wahlberg and Chouette Legifor, and it kind of got uh, jilted by not ending up in theaters. But, you know, uh, pandemic's going to leave a lot of those yeah, for yeah. future evaluation. 4K. Yeah, yeah. So, got the last three 4Ks here, all catalog titles, all fascinating classics. It speaks to just how diverse... Our, our catalog titles on 4K are starting to be. So it's a real collector's format now. This is telling me a lot. The Untouchables, 1776, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So it's not just for Marvel films and blockbusters. Now we're, we're kind of going deep. The Untouchables, really, I, I like this film better as time goes by. I thought I had some issues with it the first time. De Niro playing Al Capone, I didn't really get to. Uh, you know, the baby cart thing, you know, in, a, in homage to, to uh, Potemkin. Yes, Coster felt a little too stiff to me. But boy, I watch it now and I'm like, you know, it's really nicely shot. Connery really did deserve that Oscar. And uh, it kind of does take the TV show and give it a whole new life. You know, this, this, uh, the, 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 the G-Man thing. I, I really, mm. and especially in 4K, it really kind of hums. It's funny at, at the time, uh, you know, eighty in eighty seven when 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 Bridge and I went to see this movie. I remember for some reason being really hung up on the license that they took with the actual story. Yeah, uh, you know, the, yeah, you know, making Kevin Costner this sort of gun toting G man. Uh, Elliot Ness was certainly not. Uh, uh, you, you know, doing all kinds of wacky stuff. Which made I think they made uh, I think they made I guess it was Frank Nitty. They made him an albino for some reason. 
<laughs> or, or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why is Frank knitting an albino? <laughs> what the hell are we doing? And and they were doing this all sorts of nutty license. They took, but and in '87, that all just bugged the, the mess out of me. Uh, uh, De Palma, De Palma always did that. You know, he was he never really uh, cared uh, as he as he sort of remade in his in his sort of Hitchcockian style. That's the other thing that bugged the hell out of me. I'm like, this is plainly a Hitchcock film. You know, yeah. it's, it's like about the untouchables, but this is, this is, this is like Hitchcock. And, 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 you know, fast forward almost 40 years and I'm like, oh, I was an idiot. Uh, this is a perfectly good film and, 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 and emotional and, and enjoyable and it doesn't make any difference. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, I guess it was this that really launched Costner as a movie star. Was it this, what was no way that? out, no, no way, way out is what no launched him. Yeah. No way out is what launched him, but you know, he just, he just kept kind of hitting home runs. I mean, he really did feel the dreams, the untouchables dancing with wolves, which of course he directed and won the Oscar for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he had he had a run there, dude. He had a real oh. run. Costner had a run. He's got a run now. I mean, Yellowstone yep. has given yep. him a whole new, whole new lease on life. It's come back, yeah. So a really interesting 4K is uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Great John Ford film. Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, classic Western, 1962, same year as Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart kind of, you know, nearing the ends of their careers here. They are are older by all accounts, you know, by what you should be for that particular period. But I'll tell you, this is really uh, is still a great movie, especially in 4K. I, I think here it's not the audio that you're looking at, watching it for. It's uh, it's the the visuals, but it's so well shot. It's such a sharp film. It it really ages beautifully. Uh, it shows you why they were such great stars, and it's got a great commentary by Peter Bogdanovich that includes some archival record, recordings with John Ford and Jimmy Stewart. And then uh, a selected scene commentary, which has uh, various archival snippets as well from uh, Stuart and Ford and none other than Lee Marvin. Mm. So uh, who, you know, is also in this. It's easy to forget Lee Marvin's there alongside Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne. So it's a it's a lot of Western power in this thing. But. Boy, I'll tell you, it, it, it's it, and and John Carradine, by the way, you know, I mean, mm, mm. <laughs> these people yeah. are no slouches. Yeah. I it, this really is one of the all time great John Ford films. Um, yeah. I I really like it. Lee Van Cleef too. I mean, yeah. you know, keep going down the, down the line of that that cast. It's just a great western and a great cast. And I I, I love this film. I'm I'm thrilled. I never would have expected to see this on 4K, but I'm thrilled that it is. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, and then uh, lastly, on the 4K front, 1776. I did not see that one coming. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't. I mean, it's a beautiful musical. It, some people consider it a little bit dated. You know, the songs don't quite resonate like they, they used to. But, boy, it was it was a big, huge deal on Broadway. And uh, it is an awfully, awfully fun film. Great performances. William Daniels is so oh, yeah. good in this thing. Uh, Howard DeSilva is just so good. Ken Howard plays Tom Jefferson. Uh, it's just uh, a wonderful look at American history, musicalized in this classic Jack Warner um, production. That just—it's—it's it's absolutely fantastic. Whenever, on, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, whenever, whenever you could rent 
from rank uh, distributors, uh, 16 millimeter films, uh, like you could back in the day in the 70s, right? <laughs> Whoever my history teacher was at that time rented this film and played it for us as 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 a history lesson. And it was in we had a whole assembly in the in the gym and they pulled down the screen and and they strung it up and we watched this film for history class. It was the Hamilton of its era. Indeed. Indeed. You know? Indeed. Because you know, people I'm, are using Hamilton that way now too. I mean uh, yeah. honestly, because what, what Miranda did with Hamilton is historically spot on. And yeah. that film is being that film's being shown now. You know the the, the Disney Plus uh, stage uh, version of it is being shown in in history classes in high schools, so that you know they they kind of inculcate the the story and the history. Yeah, very yeah. true. So there it is. Well, there it is. Anyway, uh, has the director's cut and the extended cut in both 4K and on Blu-ray. All the commentaries are on the Blu-ray disc. Uh, and then there's an additional special the uh, features Blu-ray that has all the rest of the stuff on it, the uh, including the uh, the extended laser disc version of the film, which is in standard def, but it it uh, has this commentary on it with the uh, uh, director Peter H. Hunt that uh, it, it, you know is like I guess paying homage to the laser disc. I don't quite understand the Laserdisc version on here, but nonetheless, it's everything. Let's just put it that way. Um, Sony decided to really knock it out of the park with everything, and this is the 50th anniversary of the film. Beautifully done. Uh, lots of fun. Knock yourselves out. Uh, we could do some docs. We've got what else do we have here, Tim? What are we gonna? What do you want to dive into? Uh, I, could, I, I could I could knock out some of the. Uh, I've got some. You know, we've let uh, accumulate some of the Warner Archive stuff. I could let you go ahead and do that, and I'll, yeah. and I'll and I'll and I'll prep some of the LBGT stuff. All righty, we can talk after you after you sell the work your way there. Blythe Danner, by the way, was in that seventies. After she was like twenty or something years old. It's a wonderful cast. It's a uh, wonderful yeah. cast. She looks just like Gwyneth. I may, I, I have to decide, I think I'm going to show that to my daughter at some point soon. We, we did that, by the way, just uh, kind of a little bit off topic, speaking of all this stuff. Do you know about the Living History Project that's that's done in third grade throughout California? No, I don't know about that. This is a whole thing. This is because that that's what the picture was that I, I sent you guys of, oh, uh, okay. uh, of, of the girls dressed up. So yes, yeah, so there's, there's this thing. It's like in third grade all over California. It's so that kids learn history. You you pick a historical figure, and then you're on the open house night. Everybody kind of prepares a little biographical sketch. You try to memorize it if you can, and you dress in costume as your historical figure. And and um, parents walk around the room and push buttons, and there the 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 uh, the students do their little living history deal. And wow. it was great. Our our daughter chose Queen Elizabeth the first. My <laughs> wife my wife went totally off the reservation and dressed her up in. In clothes and wig and makeup that rivals Kate Blanchett in the damn movie, <laughs> and you're supposed to do a little button. So I went and got one of those one of those little uh, USB button deals off of Amazon, and uh, instead of putting a little a little buzzer noise on the Amazon, I loaded the entire um, Baroque music track from the uh, from the movie. <laughs> from the score so that when people push the button it would like lay down a score track for her little uh recitation it was fantastic we were, we were, uh, we were such geeky parents that's so great that's gonna be all so right much warner oh and her best friend did uh, uh marie antoinette so they were they were both queens and wigs it was great <laughs> yeah but you so know. uh warner archive collection has released a ton of great new stuff uh, a gr ton of great new stuff this is all mod 
but it's on Blu-ray and you got to get it. Blake Edwards has had the most fascinating career. One of the most underrated movies of his career is The Carrie Treatment, starring James Coburn and Jennifer O'Neill. Um, really fascinating 1972 film uh, with uh, Coburn playing uh, th- this um, uh, this pathologist uh, who you know has to. I mean, it's kind of like a like Quincy before Quincy. I think this might even have been the film that sort of inspired Quincy in some direct in some some respect. But anyway, it's based on a Michael Crichton novel that was ah. originally not written by Michael Crichton. He wrote it under a pseudonym. But um, it's it's really cool. It's um, you know it's it's one of those first movies that has a, a pathologist being the detective and doing the detective work, and it's very smart and it's really well written, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a good <laughs> film, The Carrie Treatment, with James Coburn, one of his most restrained performances. And I just watched him again in um, Charade the other day. Oh, it's so good in that. Spencer Tracy and Ingrid Bergman and Lana Turner in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I don't need to tell you the story of this thing. You know it. This is the 1941 version. I think in many respects might be the best. Pretty mm. hard to say, you know, all, all respect to Lon Chaney. But uh, really, it, this just nails the, the Robert Louis Stevenson source material. It's very sharp. Uh, might be the best film directed by Victor Fleming outside of his famous mm. two that everybody mm. thinks of, which is Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. Um, does a great job here. Really great job. And Spencer Tracy is just absolutely terrific. Likewise, the Technicolor Three Musketeers is far and away my favorite. I know a lot mm. of people don't particularly like this one. Uh, this is from uh, 1948. And I just love this one. This is the one with Gene Kelly and Van Heflin. And uh, Frank Morgan, Vincent Price, Keenan Wynn, Lana Turner again, mm. June Allison. They just, they, they blew this thing out on the, on the cast. It is a mm. whole load of fun. Directed by George Sidney. Oh, I yeah. think it absolutely captures the spirit of the book. Love everything about this. Has some lovely special features. Uh, it's uh, got some, some, you know, vintage uh, period stuff. Classic cartoon short and uh, radio promo and some some stuff just to kind of make give you a feel of the night at the movies from the from the era. Um, then we also have the uh, Warner Brothers melodrama with Anne Sheridan and Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn, Edge of Darkness. Um, uh, this is a Lewis Milestone directed war film. Uh, Lewis Milestone, of course, uh, did All Quiet on the Western Front, one of the early uh, Best Picture winners. And uh, he kind of, um, he does, this is many years later, and takes, he made this in 1943, and uh, he went kind of back to the, the well, but instead of making an anti-war film, it's 1943, he elected to make one that was a little bit more rah-rah. Mm. And uh, it's okay, because it's just, it's a very, very sharp film. It's beautifully directed, based on a novel by William Woods. Great performances by uh, Errol Flynn and Anne Sheridan. Great supporting performances from people like, you know, Ruth Gordon, Walter Houston. Uh, and written by Robert Rosson, who's no slouch in his own right as a, as a great director. Uh, this is basically about a, um, a fisherman who, you know, in a Norwegian village who leads the resistance against the Nazis. Mm. Uh, you don't buy it for a second that it was shot in Norway because it wasn't. It was shot in the back lot. But it's still really, really good. Yeah. Gold Diggers of 1933. Oh. Absolutely fantastic film that uh, I am very close to for reasons that Tim understands. Directed by Mervyn Leroy with uh, a whole host of fantastic Busby Berkeley musical numbers that are just epic and legendary. Um, this is kind of the beginning of Busby Berkeley's work with Warner Brothers. He had been mm-hmm. with um, uh, 
Samuel Goldwyn before this, and uh, he'd been on Broadway before that. And uh, Ginger Rogers' first big uh, on-screen thing, she sings uh, "We're in the Money" in Pig Latin. Yeah. It's yes. kind of weird and crazy. <laughs> Mm, but Joan uh, Blondell. oh my god yeah Joan Blondell young, 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 young Joan Blondell we because we often you know, we think of Marilyn we think of, people sometimes forget how fine Joan Blondell was Joan Blondell was amazing and you know by the way I always like to point out to people how you know all the people and everybody thinks that they know who all the Hollywood Jews were Joan <laughs> Blondell part Jewish Fred yeah. Astaire part Jewish oh, yeah. Tim Cockshell, part Jewish. Part Jewish. <laughs> so yeah. just, uh, you, you just don't know. Don't think. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, also, we have Stage Fright, an early Alfred Hitchcock film with Jane mm. Wyman and Marlena Dietrich. Um, you know, not exactly Hitchcock's best, but he's getting there. He's kind of, you know, he's, he's it's it's a it's minor hitchcock which is which is fine minor hitchcock is still better than almost everybody else uh based on a selwyn jepson novel um you know it's got its moments jane wyman is probably not my favorite actress for this part but because mm-hmm. i look at jane wyman and i always think you well, she's, Ronald reagan she's not a she's not a hitchcockian actor no she's not, she's she's not, not. remotely a hitchcock not as Marla, marlene dietrich for that matter you know we know he liked the icy cold yeah he, yeah, he, he liked the ice queens and he you know he's he's roaming around with these two sort of dark and surly broads he didn't know what to do with them <laughs> i always look at her and i think that you know she divorced ronald reagan because she didn't think he would become anything it's like man was that a bad stock trade <laughs> yeah. that was that was not a good one uh, but anyway, uh, Hitchcock stage fright, nice one for the completists. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Ivanhoe, mm. uh, based on the Sir Walter Scott novel, which is kind of a, a, a brother or sister story to Robin Hood in many respects. Uh, lovely cast here: George Sanders, Joan Fontaine, Robert Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, you know, beautiful Technicolor photography. Pretty faithful to the book. I, mm-hmm. I like this better than Robin Hood, to be honest, uh, for films from that period. Nicely produced by Pandra Berman. Um, mm-hmm. you Mr. Know, it's French, not... Mr. French is in this movie. Yeah, I, I love Sebastian Joe Fontaine. Cabot. Sebastian Cabot. Oh, Sebastian <laughs> Cabot's so good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not brilliant, but I like it. It's fun. Uh, we had a few Academy Award nominations. So, you know, it's uh, photography is mostly what you're sticking with there. Yeah, let me uh, and Liz, of course. Yeah, yeah. We got a couple of Thin Man films. We're completing the Thin Man releases on Blu-ray. They've added uh, Thin Man Goes Home and Song of the Thin Man. Nothing much more I can tell you about this other than the fact that they are it's Blu-ray and they're great transfers. And if you bought the others, you really, really need to get these. A lot of fun. Still an awful lot of fun. You just you can't go wrong with wrong with Nick and Nora. Every, Every word I hang on every word. They're just wonderful. I don't even care what yeah. the plots are anymore. Great special features. They have uh, some some shorts and cartoon shorts just to give you that night at the movies feel again. Also Richard Thorpe. Also Richard Thorpe. So good. Richard um, Richard home. And then let's. I'm going to pull out just a few here. Uh, let's see. Fandango. <laughs> Remember that? Ooh. We're talking oh, yeah. as long as we're talking about Kevin Costner. We got Fandango and American Flyers. Yeah. Um, to to kind of minor Costner efforts, but uh, I think they're still fun, you know. Well, uh, Fandango is it's just him and him and him and Kevin Reynolds, you know, the old buddies from way yep. back in the day, and they sort of, you know, sort Their of love hate relationship. Yeah, held up each other's careers there for a while, and then sort of after Waterworld, I guess. 
And this was this was a Spielberg produced thing. Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy produced this for for Spielberg and Amblin. Uh, You know, it's got. I mean, uh, Judd Nelson is in this as well. Yeah, it's a nice. It's a it's a one of those fun little you know buddy road trippy deals. And there were a few of those in in the nineteen eighties. And this is one of them. Uh, American Flyers. I always thought it was an odd movie. Uh, cycling movies are always a little bit odd to me. Uh, but I don't know. You know, now that I, I, my wife's really into cycling, and we saw the end of the Tour de France last year, and we follow it every year. So I understand more about cycling, so I can watch Breaking Away and mm. appreciate that a little bit more. And I guess my uh, appreciation for this has increased over time. John Badham directed this. We interviewed yeah. on this show not too long ago. And, you know, it's very competently made. I just think it was the, um, it's just the, you know, I wasn't into the cycling thing, but I am now. So I kind of, uh, I don't mind it. It's, uh, mm. I think it kind of works. I think it kind of works more than I did at the time. Definitely. Uh, Coster stars along with, uh, David Grant, Radon Chong, uh, Janice rules. So it's a, it's, it's not bad directed by, uh, or a uh, director of photography was Don Peterman. And of course, again, directed by John Batham. Yeah. And then, uh, the last two here, I want to make mention of angels with dirty faces, Cagney, oh. the great Cagney Bogart, uh, the gangster thing, which is you know, just classic Warner gangster stuff. It really is great. Beautiful, long overdue on, uh, on Blu-ray. Max Steiner's score is just incomparable. Uh, you got to grab that. It's a ton of special features that are really, really beautiful. Leonard Malton hosting a uh, Warner Night at the Movies, along with a newsreel and a music short and cartoons and the whole thing. Uh, there's also a radio production on here with uh, with the actors, a commentary by film historian Dana Polin, and a really, really cool featurette. A lot of great stuff there. And then the incomparable original Star is Born with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, too often overshadowed by subsequent movies, including the most recent one, or the Streisand one, or the Judy Garland one. But the original is still so, so good. They're all good. But David Oselznik produced William Wellman, another great early director, directed. Uh, and Janet Gaynor and Frederick March just tear your heart out. I mean, it really is beautiful. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful telling of that story. Also includes a couple of Lux Radio Theater broadcasts. And um, a uh, classic Warner Brothers cartoon, A Star is Hatched. Mm. which is really, really fun. Perfect, perfect pairing of, uh, of shorts. So that is on Blu-ray now. Thank goodness. All the others are also on Blu-ray. So now that is that, that Canon is complete. Oh, wow. All right, Tim. Well, uh, let's knock out a few of the LGBT, uh, uh titles that we have here. And I, and I don't know if you have it there handy, the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love. What is that? Is that a, um, uh, Maria Magnetti film? I just love Maria, Marita. That's Maria. Uh, is, is Strand, it Strand? Strand on Blu-ray, long overdue. But yeah, this is kind of a seminal film. This is a really oh, it's a film. and you and you cite this all the time about how I do, I do. It's, it's a really Lauren Holloman and and, and Ari, Ari Nicole Parker and Maggie Moore and, and and Maria is just going on to have a wonderful career. She's a, a big time TV director, going all the way back to uh, the, the reboot of Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and she did, did a whole bunch of Supergirls and a whole bunch of. Uh, Motherland, Fort Salem's, and Unreal, and and all of that stuff. And she made this beautiful, beautiful film way the heck back in 1995. Did I have a chance to do some press for it and and work on? It's just a lovely story of these two teenage girls, uh, uh, and uh, and uh, both both of which, both of those actors, Laura Laurel, I should say, and and uh, Nicole Ari Parker, have gone on the head have a really great career. So everything about everything to do with that movie. 
I really love it. Uh, and it's just from that moment in the middle 90s when uh, gay cinema was sort of pushing forward in this particular sort of way, uh, right around the beginning of uh, Outfest and a, and a few other things. And uh, and Maria and the Greg Arrakis of the world sort of, sort of came through. It was, it was that queer new wave moment. Yeah, the Queen New right Wave there. moment, amongst yeah. a bunch of other new wave moments, Dogma and this and that and the other thing. Anything interesting on that on that disc? Is it, it's what is it? Is it a D-ray? A blue Blu-ray? It's a Blu-ray. A it, Blu-ray? it is a Blu-ray, and it has a uh, Maria Magenti uh, audio Magenti. commentary and yeah. uh, or Magenti. I forget. I don't know how you I say it wrong. I say it wrong. <coughs> and a trailer. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so 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 anyway, yeah, you, you recommend that movie all the time. Down in Parents, an Anthony Hickling film, which is a neat uh, movie. Uh, about a young man roaming around Paris, a young gay man roaming around Paris because he's a filmmaker and he has all sorts of anxiety problems. So he takes his camera out and wander around, wanders around Paris in the middle of the night, uh, shooting all of these sort of absolutely extraordinary things that you would expect to find going on around and about Paris in the middle of, of the night. He, and I say young, he's about 40. That's but, you young. know, yeah, young. he's young enough, young, 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 young to my mind. From, from 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 my perch of almost sixty one, it's a drama. I really liked it quite a lot. Uh, don't know if there's anything particularly special on that guy uh, there. Uh, uh, there are interviews, bonus scenes, and a short film. Ah, uh, uh, don't look down is uh, a coming of age story set in Buenos Aires, and it's really just a lovely, lovely movie about this young young man whose father dies sort of suddenly. Uh, and, uh, and he's nuts about his father and, uh, he has all of these sort of, uh, dreams, uh, that, that in which his father sort of comes to visit him. French, uh, French language film. A French language film set in, yeah. set in bonus yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So again, just a pretty, pretty movie that I really, really loved. Um, uh, anything interesting on that bad boy? None whatsoever. Oh, Nothing. wow. No extras. Yeah. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad. Um, another drama. Um, what's it called there? It's called Mia and Moi um, uh, here, but I think it, it might be called Bringing Him Back. Yes, uh, Bringing Him Back. That is um, the, the, is, the Borgia de la Vega movie. Yeah, it's the English, it's the English language child. Anything on that? That was actually uh, lovely nothing, too. Nothing, nothing at all. No, it reminded uh, me of that Amadovar movie, or just Amadovar in general, the, the sort of thing. These. Uh, they lose their I, mother. I, and I did see this one. I, I saw this. It's beautifully shot. Really yeah. nicely shot. Spanish films just it's hard it's hard to make a bad looking film in Spain, to be honest. Yeah, particularly if you set it out in the countryside. Uh is it Saint Narcissus? Is that the name of the other one? San 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 Narcisse. San Narcisse. San Narcisse, Bruce It's a Bruce LeBruce film. You know, hey, Bruce. Bruce is Bruce. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Bruce makes big gay films that are that are gay <laughs> because they're gay because they're gay because they're gay. And to that I say, go Bruce, go <laughs> do your yeah, thing. And, baby. and he says as much on the commentary too. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I love that. Okay, please. And, and there's a commentary, so that's fantastic. Yep. Uh, and I don't know um, uh, anything else there. I didn't see the sea. No, no. The uh, the sea. The sea. We'll just make quick mention of that's uh, that's another one from TLA, uh, and uh, it's the it's the story of uh, two men in Chile, and it is in Spanish, and it's um, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a threesome thing. I mean, a lot of this is is common. There's there's like another guy and. The relationship comes apart, um, but it is Chilean, and that always, uh, you know, anything anything from South America always has a an additional cultural 
uh, veneer to it that gives it a little bit uh, something makes it feel a little bit different from what you would normally get in the U.S. Mm. Can we can we dip if we're done with the LBGT yeah. films? Can we dip into the docs? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I happen to see I happen to see that ABBA film, that ABBA doc. ABBA Forever. ABBA Forever. Yeah. Uh, the Winner Takes All, which is just a history of ABBA. Um, flat out, you know, retrospectively, Chris Hunt directing. And it's just it's just fantastic. The only thing better than an ABBA documentary is ABBA. <laughs> and, you know, I'll tell you, the one regret I have from our recent visit to London is that, you know, ABBA's new album. They yeah. did, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a park in London where they have this, this technology now, which which is where you can make you, you use sort of um, high definition 3D projection, and they use this on a lot of rides at Disneyland and other parks now too. But they use this high definition 3D projection uh, that so that it looks like there's actually a three dimensional person in the space in front of you. It has a high, kind of a hologram vibe to it. Oh, they they did it. They did uh, motion capture scans of all of them. And then they created one of these 3D things. They put, they they made them look like their younger selves from the 1970s. <laughs> oh, that! Oh my God! And there's a little amphitheater in a park in London, and we didn't go because it's too damn far away, and also because it's sold out through October. Oh my God! You go there uh, at night. I mean, I can't believe it's sold out through October. And it has to people, be at night, of course. Yeah, at night it has to be at night, and people sit there and they watch what looks like a live performance of ABBA as they were in the 1970s. Oh my gosh. Right that's there just on the stage. Astounding. But that's Isn't the thing it? that we've been talking about though. The sort of, yeah. you know, coming of that technology. That means that ABBA can be in concert anywhere in the world yes. all at the same time at any particular moment from the, from the history of them forever. Yeah. You, and I'm not going to pay ABBA prices. I, it's just, uh, you know, but I suppose that's true. Hey, I mean, that is, is that eventually yes. is going to be true of everything, right? That's you want to go to a Dave Chappelle concert? Well, of course there's a Dave Chappelle concert. Yep. Where is it? It's everywhere. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it's yes. everywhere always. Um, and it's, and, and what, do you want Dave Chappelle 1997 or do you want <laughs> Dave Chappelle 1990? Which, which Dave do you want? Uh, oh, you can have Dave goodness. Chappelle from 2001 doing Dave Chappelle jokes from 2022. How about that? Let's do oh, that, dude. And and I and I, I just want to make mention, you know, because they're they're going all, they're getting all over Ricky Gervais on his new. Oh, Netflix thing. I mean, yeah. it's like I, I I'm reading this stuff. I'm like, do you, do you not understand what Ricky Gervais does? <laughs> you like, people you, not been paying attention. You're not been paying attention to what his persona is. If there is something that upsets you, he is going to make fun of it. No, why did why did you come over here? <laughs> <laughs> why are you? Why are you, I don't understand. But he clearly watched Dave Chappelle's special and uh, said, "Oh no, I could I can one up that." <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh my gosh! Oh heavens! He talks about dude. He talks about like punching handicapped kids. It's like you cannot imagine it. The thing that makes it funny is that he goes there. He yeah. just goes there, and you. Well, know what it is is, is that, that he knows that there are going to be people who do not have the wherewithal to understand what's actually going on. Took the bait. This, They're helping this, promote in, it in this performance. It's, it's free like promotion. It's, it's like it's, it's like you're really, you're really not paying. You're really not paying attention to people. Free marketing. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, so uh, anyways, uh, so that's uh, 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 another uh, another good doc. I want to make a quick mention as long as we're in the docs. Uh, the Monopoly of Violence by David Dufresne. Uh, um, uh, this is uh, 
This I thought there was it, uh yeah uh, Chris what's his name right uh, uh the, the director uh, 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 or am I thinking of a different one uh you might be that I think it's different this is this is uh okay. David okay. David Dufresne is the is okay. the filmmaker um no it's really interesting it's a look at at protests around the world and protests that aren't just protests but they've they've gone violent. Mm. And uh, a lot of this is obviously, you know, something to do with the pandemic and, and whatnot. But there is something else that's going on. And the way that governments are responding to this, which in some cases, you know, exacerbates the violence. So um, it's very interesting French documentary made in 2020. Mm. And uh, it doesn't come to any it asks a lot of very difficult questions uh, of ordinary people. And it doesn't come to a lot of easy answers, but it certainly suggests some very difficult questions. And I think it's really important to see. So the monopoly of violence really, you know, if, if this kind of stuff concerns you socially, politically, for ethically, whatever reason, really Mm. good doctor watch because it's not evangelizing a point of view. It's looking for resolution, which I Mm. think is very, very brave. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Uh, what else do you, what is the, um, the Aha uh, movie, the, the, Aha, the great the song, of course, we know. Aha, the movie, it's just, you know, that yeah, uh, band, that great song, that groundbreaking video. Uh, and what we and not another hit, and not another hit. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was one and done. No, it was uh, the tr- the Norwegian trio who uh, known as Aha, who were huge at uh, in the 80s. Uh, this is a Blu-ray from Lightyear, and it was at the Tribeca Film Festival just last year. And uh, it uh, it's just a, a 35 years later revisitation of that moment and what made it so such lightning in a bottle. Mm. And uh, it, 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 you know, it, it take it covers a four year period. Um, it looks into their entire career. It uh, it just it looks at the, the music industry. It really try, it tries to get under the surface. And for the most part, I think it does it. Um, you know, it's it's it's. It, it really it gets into kind of some ugly areas. I mean, it's a mm. wonderful it's a wonderful story, but there there are the dark edges of the music business and and certainly the entertainment business, which it also gets into. So very mm. interesting. Balanchine's classroom uh, was just extraordinary, uh, particularly for those of you who like me or uh, love love ballet, particularly classical ballet. All of those great figures uh, from the past. Um, now I'm thinking about all the great Russians who. Who, um, who 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 left? Uh, yeah, Nureyev, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, all these, all of the, the great Russians, um, um, and and this is Balanchine's Balanchine's classroom, and it's really, really sort of wonderful look uh, from from that period, literally in his sort of New York classroom, um, and all the dancers that worked with him, the great. Uh, it's just re- really, really great, and it, I don't know what it just got me thinking about all of that stuff. It is a, it uh, is a really, it is a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, Connie Hulkman, who directed it, is a is a superbly talented uh, documentarian, and uh, it's very slick. It's very professional, beautifully paced. Really, really hits all the beats, just absolutely as it should. So, um, I, you know, there's so many good documentarians out there, but uh, Connie Hulkman, I'm looking forward to seeing more of her stuff. It's mm. really, really engaging. Uh, Tim, we got Trekkies on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Rogers, Rogers, Rogers film, right? Uh, 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 with with uh, Roger Nygaard, the director. Yep. Yeah. Uh, with with uh, Denise Crosby, who uh, of course played Tasha Yar in the early seasons of uh, Star Trek: Next Generation. 
uh, uh, sort of at the center of of all of this. It's just, hey, look, look. I'm, now, me, I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm mistaken. I have over over the the many decades uh, maintained my sort of tricky. Uh, with respect to the many <laughs> derivations of, of Star Trek. I really have no issue with any of them. Some of them are far and away, you know, generally speaking, better than others. But the, in, in the way that I, that I hold the entire Star Trek universe in my mind, I really just view them all as part and parcel of this continuing story. The one thing that I really enjoy the most are, are about the Star Trek universe it's that it really does, and all of the filmmakers and, 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 and showrunners who've, who've, who've come to these series um, have really tried to maintain a measure of consistency. Uh, even into these new things, we've got Picard and we got the, you know, you know, they try to, to make it all make sense and connect. And, o- and only very seldom sort of fail at that. And, and when they do, they simply blame it on a, uh, a, 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 um, uh, a, a different uh, uh, universe. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that happened in that universe, or, or you know, whatever they call it. But other than that, they really do that. And this, I, I always, I always like this movie. I always thought this movie was a lot of fun. This movie is twenty five years old now, yeah. And does, therefore, does not consider any of the you know since then uh, moments of, of of start. It's ready for it's ready for a uh, a sequel. I uh, I saw this film originally. I took it personally. <laughs> I, said, uh, <laughs> I said, "You're you're making fun of me in my generation because uh, I'm one of those nerds." And uh, I look at it now, and I, I feel much more comfortable about it. It's, it's like warm milk. Yeah. Uh, I I was uh, I was nine years I was nine years old when my friend Adam and I went to SpaceCon Four at the LA Convention Center. Uh, his dad took us, and we couldn't. It was great. DeForest Kelly was there. He was drunk. Um, <laughs> William Shatner went out and people went crazy. And we were sitting in like the second row. We're like, whoa, it's Shatner. He's right in front of us. And, uh, and he came out and people were screaming and Shatner was just, it was, it was like catnip to that man's ego. You could see it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He was just sucking it up like a body snatcher right there. And finally he said, people wouldn't stop shutting up. People dressed like Klingons carrying around tricorders. I mean, it was crazy. It was the 1970s. And, uh, and and finally he goes, Qu- please, quiet, quiet. The captain says, quiet. Everybody <laughs> shut up. Everybody shut up. Brilliant. And only three years later, I think I think it was two thousand after this film. Yeah. Um. Uh, um. Galaxy Quest. Uh. If yeah, I'm not mistaken, you're right. Two thousand. Right. That was two thousand, right? Uh, it was um, a, uh, uh, something like that. Something which, like you know, that. Original, written by co- original script was written by my friend Dave Howard, who we should yeah. have on the show at some point because uh, we do. I will. We, I will uh, never forget being at a party when I met Dave Howard, and he pitched me, and he said, "Yeah, I got this script. You know, it's like a, it's like a Star Trek thing, and." You know, it was called Captain Starshine at the time. And he goes, yeah, it's like a Kirk guy and these aliens. He's pitching it to me. I'm like, that sounds really cool. I can't believe you can't get any traction on that. Five years later, boom, there's the movie. Only five years later, folks. It was Hollywood. It was five or six. Yeah. Hollywood, 1999 is Galaxy Quest. So only two years later. Yeah. Uh, uh, that movie. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Tim, Tim, are you familiar with Jay Bennett? Jay Bennett, legendary musician and recording studio savant, mm, uh, member of Wilco. Uh, member of Wilco. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I I was not familiar, but this is not a not a not a uh, an unimportant documentary. It's called "Where Are You, Jay Bennett?" 
and uh, it goes into the, the this guy who was a member of Wilco, and he was, you know, uh, basically an incredible musician, an incredible recording artist, um, influenced a lot of people, and then he died at 45. And oh. uh, I'm totally unfamiliar with his story, but I like stories like this because I just didn't realize how important this guy was to the music industry. So it's nice to discover those hidden stories. That is a Blu-ray. Yeah. Any other docs that you're, you're keen on before we start to wrap this out? Uh, let me see what might be here. That's interesting. Oh, royalty free. The music of Kevin McCloud. Since we're talking about, uh, about, about, um, uh, how this guy, Kevin, uh, McLeod became, uh, this worldwide most heard. You've listened to him, yeah, even though you know don't think don't know that you've listened to him uh, because of all of the music that he does and licenses and puts out into the world. And it's a really really sort of interesting piece. Uh, it's, it's much about the industry as it is about him. Um, um, there are all kinds of people who make all kinds of music that you hear all the time, and, and who and, and who make a lot of money from that music, uh, 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 and you never know their names. You never know their names. It's really sort of interesting film about that and this guy and as long as we're on music i do want to put a shout out to as well to uh how they got over which is the story of gospel quartets and the connection that that has to the beginnings of rock and roll and mm -hmm. uh i i you know this is an, again a story i was not familiar with it's really interesting i knew nothing about gospel quartets I didn't know there was such a thing as a gospel quartet. Oh, when I was a kid and still, and, and still going to the uh, Southern Baptist churches that I went to in the late 60s, early 70s, gospel quartets were still quite a thing. Sister Rosetta Tharp um, uh, was, was, was still quite a Sister Rosetta, black woman. And, and people forget that Sister Rosetta was sort of drummed out of the Southern Baptist church because of playing that guitar and sort of blending that rock See, and roll. That's and, what and this is all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, that's, really, it's really, really interesting. It, 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 it's a connection that I had never made, which takes gospel and rock and roll. And it puts the two together in this moment through this, mm -hmm. this stuff, a lot of performance stuff in here, which is fascinating. I mean, uh, they've got, they've got sister Rosetta Tharp in here. They've got the blind boys of Alabama, mm. the Davis sisters, the soul stirrers. I mean, a lot of these, these, these acts that I just had never heard of. It's a, it's a great little, uh, it does what great historical docs do, which is it finds something that's forgotten in history, which is well-documented. We don't need to go and, in, and invent recreations. The material's all there. It's just that mm -hmm. you had to go get it. You got to put it together and give it a context. And it's a, it's a wonderful doc by Robert Clem, how they got over gospel quartets and the road to rock and roll. Really, really mm -hmm. good. Also had a great, uh, a great run with, um, with, uh, some festivals. Mm. Um, well, let's start to kind of wrap up here. Um, we didn't what get to our TV, but I do want to make, well, you know what I should, we should, we should talk about just for a real quick second. Mm. Um, the Criterion and Arrow stuff. A few new movies. Oh yeah, I, yeah. There are some. There are some new movies that we should probably mention. Licorice Pizza. We got. We got to talk about Licorice Pizza. We got to talk about that under the new movies and under the Criterion. I see Mississippi Masala. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, which I which I would love to talk about a little bit. Yeah, Licorice talk, Pizza. Talk, talk about talk about Mississippi Masala straight up. Let's let's hit okay. that one first. Well, well, that okay. So that's that that's a movie. Uh, missing to get back on my mic here. That's a movie, Mississippi Masala. Uh, that I, I just really 1991 film 
And, you know, in, in, in Denzel Washington, it's me or not, Denzel Washington and, uh, 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 Sataria Chowdhury in this beautiful, beautiful movie that somehow blends these cultures. Uh, it's about an ethnic Indian family, uh, who had to leave Uganda, right? Not India, but Uganda in 1972. And, and, and they end up in Mississippi years later where, where this young woman, uh, uh, comes into contact with Denzel Washington, playing one of the few sort of blue collar characters that Denzel Washington never played, uh, really plays in movies. And, 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 and he falls and they fall in love and how all of these different, uh, uh, cultural dynamics and conflicts, uh, sort of, sort of come to bear. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. It is uh, a bro- it is it is a great film. I uh, I interviewed Mira Nair at the time for yeah. this, and uh, I have a wonderful. I don't know if she would even know my name, but every time I, I ever interviewed her again, I mean, I've done about three times. She she somehow seems to know me, you know, Mister Wade. <laughs> I'm Mister Wade, and, uh, with that very elegant Indian accent of hers. And uh, she's uh, she's just delightful. She lives in Uganda. People should know. So that's mm. why Mira Nair has such a feel for. Um, Ugandan life for all the communities that live there, including the Indian community, which is has very deep roots there. And uh, you know, she also did Queen of Katwe, uh, which yeah. I think is the most underrated film, which is all about you know Ugandan uh, school school kids, uh, the caste system there, pl- learning to play chess, the street kids, and then the more prep school kids. I mean, it's a really Uganda is a fascinating country, and it's a beautiful yeah. country. And Mira yeah. Nair really loves oh, it well so. her, let's, you have to mention her, her the, the one uh, salam bombay you know the film salam before bombay. mississippi masala so really yeah great uh, a great well this, this is a wonderful blu-ray it's got uh, an audio commentary with mira nair who is just a delight i mean i i hear that commentary and i remember our interviews and she's just so much fun great new interviews and uh it's a beautiful beautiful restoration of the film it is a it's a it's a film well worth re- uh rediscovering my gosh denzel is just magnificent in that thing you yeah. forget he's he you know i look at him now and I, I just know him now but i i forget how young he was and how strapping yeah he was. yeah 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 few other few other criterions here we've got um the funeral by juzo itami we're finally mm-hmm. getting the juzo itami films that have been missing on blu-ray uh, for so so long this is from 1984 uh itami of course you know just has a wonderful wicked sense of humor and a very unique style the funeral one of his uh one of his more personal films, uh, loads of extras here, everything that you would expect. Um, it, it's, you know, the trailers and a little, a little short program. It's wonderful. Uh, oh, Chan- I see. I see Chan is missing. Chan is <laughs> missing. That's what I oh, want to get to. I haven't seen um, that movie in so long. I know the movie that put Wayne Wang on the map. Oh, uh, yeah. wonderful movie from 1982. One of the first great independent films from the uh, 1980s. Oh man, uh, that movie's 40 years old. Oh my God. Dude, sick. I know. I know. It's killing me. Uh, but there's a, there's a terrific, uh, bunch of extras on here too, including a conversation between Wayne Wang and, uh, a film critic, Hua Su and, uh, and, uh, Ang Lee. So, uh, you know, he, the, 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 the fact that Ang Lee and, uh, Wayne Wang kind of get to have a conversation yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. And, uh, you know, Chan is missing. It's like, it's, it's, a it's many genres all packed into one. It's takes place in, uh, in Chinatown, San Francisco. It's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a whodunit. It's kind of a drama. It's kind of a coming of age film. And it's all made for like a buck 50. And Wayne Wang just kind of yeah. showed everybody a whole new way of being, a, being indie at the time. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
Uh, Alain Delon and Mr. Klein, another Joseph Losey movie. Great Joseph Losey movie, a late Joseph Losey movie from 1976. Yeah. you know, Joseph Losey made movies in German, and then he made movies in French. He was kind of the the ultimate expat. But what a really really fascinating film uh, oh, yeah. from his his long extended European period. Um, it's a mystery, and it's a really interesting mystery. And it's an interest. It's kind of a Hitchcockian mystery. Hitchcock made thrillers, not mysteries. But the the fact that it's about a, a wrong guy, you know, yeah. it's like the man who knew too much or North by Northwest. It's one of those things which Hitchcock did particularly well. So he takes that, he wraps it up in a mystery, gives it his own lozy spin, puts Alain Delon in the middle of it, one of the all-time great French actors, and oh, yeah. you've Jean got Moreau. this classic film, Mr. Klein. Yeah, it's really, really good. Great packaging and artwork too. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, Tim, let's let's hit these new movies real quickly. Uh, uh, before we talk about Licorice Pizza, let me talk about just for a second a Shutter movie called The Boy okay. Behind the Door. Did oh yeah, you see The Boy Behind the Door. Yeah, I did see that one. It ain't, uh, it ain't bad, actually. Uh, mo- most of the Shutter stuff, I, I tend to be kind of like, oh, it's kind of the same old thing again. But I like the fact that this goes into kind of a Stranger Things place, and Stranger Things is about to drop soon, as we mentioned. Um, it, uh, you know, which is the, the impact of fear on on young kids, and uh, that could be very exploitative or it could be very meaningful and, and, and prescient. And I, I think they do a, a good job of the latter here. Mm. And uh, so I, I like the kids in this thing. I think the uh, I think the the way that it treats fear and and childhood is not exploitative. It's very effective in a genre way. But I, I, I really think it's worth checking out. The Boy Behind the Door. Good movie to, good movie mm. to check out. A Shutter original. Um, licorice pizza. Yeah. Um, uh, it didn't do as well at the actual Academy Awards as, as, uh, uh, you, you might've been thought, you know, earlier in the awards season. Um, but you know, plenty of nominations. The, the film itself, very well reviewed, much, much liked, uh, by many. Um, I, including myself, I, 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 I really like licorice pizza. The way I talk about it, you think I didn't like it. I do like it. Uh, but then it. again, but then again, you know, I spent, I spent the last 30 plus years here and, uh, and, 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 and I watched that film and I get all the jokes and all the inside references and, and, and I just love it. It's, it, it's, it, I love the way the film flows too. You know, there's just plenty yeah. to love about the film, whether you know the material or not. But I, but I do, but I, I do hold to this notion that I have regarding films like Licorice Pizza, but it in particular, that if, if you, if you, if you're literally not from here, if you haven't spent uh, either a lifetime like you or a good chunk of your life like me here, even if you like this film, you're missing half of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I also think it is a little deficient in the extras department. I have a feeling there's a criterion in the offing because I wanted a P.T. Anderson uh, commentary. I didn't get one. Oh. No commentary. But, uh, no commentary. But there are camera tests and behind-the-scenes stuff and, you know, commercial for Fat Bernie's. I mean, there's stuff in it that's good, but not enough. I, I feel like there's another shoe to drop. So yeah. it's just I feel like he's holding a lot of stuff back for that eventual criterion or whatever it might be. Um, How would you feel about Spencer with Kristen Stewart? I uh, loved her performance uh, uh, very much. Uh, I thought she was great at it. Understood completely why she got that nomination. Um, you know, it's not it, it, if you compare it to say uh, Jackie, uh, uh, Pablo Lorraine's other you know, yeah. sort of biopic film. Um, I prefer I prefer Jackie to this. 
Um, uh, uh, but the performance in this, I thought was, was pretty, was pretty amazing. Yeah, it is an amazing performance. I, 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 the film left me a little bit cold. Um, but Jackie did too, kind of, I, maybe I'm not just a Pablo Lorraine fan, but, mm. um, it is very nicely made. It's well made. All my reservations notwithstanding. And it is on Blu-ray with a featurette, but no commentary. Mm. Uh, Channing Tatum in dog. I don't know. I, I don't get this movie. <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me um he directed it uh it, it, they marketed it like a comedy it ain't no comedy mm. uh you know it's a it's a road trip a guy and his dog it's uh you know uh i i it, i mean you know i don't i i don't know i don't know i'm not sure, quite sure what he was what he was going for with it uh it, it, he wants it to be funny he wants it to be meaningful and i i'm afraid it winds up being neither but I do. I do say this. I think Channing is not an untalented filmmaker. I just don't think this was the movie for it to click on. Yeah, yeah. Um, he saw the co-director directing with another guy there too. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Dog. Uh, and before we wrap out, I want to wrap out with some of these Arrow titles. But Nine Days. Did you see Nine Days? Uh, which one is this? I mean, I, Nine I mean, Days. I, I, the written and directed by Edson Oda. Really interesting movie. That oh, comes. I did see that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Winston Duke and everybody in that movie. Yeah, boy, this yeah. is so Zazie interesting. Beats. Yeah, it, it's 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 this movie about a way station, which is kind of a like a low tech house in a desert somewhere with lots of TVs, tube televisions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, for when people die, and they go yeah. and they wind up in this low tech shack to kind of reconcile themselves to their lives. And um, Winston Duke is the guy that runs the place and various people come through and I, and I won't tell you anything about it, but it's, it's all very, very metaphorical and allegorical and really asks some pretty big heady questions and goes to a totally unexpected place. And I, uh, I am really looking forward to see what Edson Oda does next, because this is a bold movie. And the fact that it got financed in the first place, is a, is a bit of a triumph. Um, mm. So really interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, we, we might've been on film week together. The, the week that that movie came oh, out. Oh, maybe, maybe. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Good movie. So uh, real quickly, uh, Arrow's got a bunch of stuff. Um, I see one on Barksler. What about the, uh, what about the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're on, you're on that, right? Which one? Uh, one on boxer, or is that Masters of the Flying Guillotine? Oh, Gu- no, no, no. The Masters of the Flying Gu- Guillotine. Yeah, okay, which, okay. which I mean, you know, uh, he plays a one-armed boxer in Masters of the Flying Guillotine based on this character. Jimmy yeah. Wang Yu, who recently left us, yeah. uh, and also appeared in a movie called Knight Errant, uh, which was previously on, blue, on DVD. Tim and I did the commentary for that, if you can mm-hmm. still find it. Uh, the He played a lot of one-armed, one-armed swordsman, one-armed boxer, uh, a lot of this stuff. And uh, the uh, Raymond Chow uh, cast him in 1970 as the one-armed boxer based on his one-armed swordsman stuff. And from there, he jumped into the Master of the Flying Guillotine. And uh, this is one of his one-armed roles. And uh, he's great in it. He's a legendary figure in uh, in martial arts cinema. Has mm. a great commentary by Frank Jang from the New York Asian Film Festival. And uh, all kinds of other fun extras on this. Uh, Arrow just pulled out all the stops to really uh, give a lot of fan service with this. And uh, you will not be disappointed. A few other um, martial arts titles from Arrow include the Eight Diagram Pole Fighter with Gordon mm-hmm. Liu. 
and Alexander Fushang uh, by Lau Carly Young. Lau Carly Young, the legendary director who uh, co-directed Jackie Chan's Drunken Master 2, and he fought with Jackie Chan underneath the train in that movie. And uh, behind the scenes, they fought as well because two big <laughs> egos. But uh, Eight Diagram Pole Fighter is unbelievable. It's phenomenal. Forget about the plot. It's phenomenal. The fighting is just through the roof. It's a great, great Shaw Brothers epic. And uh, then there is King Hu's Come Drink oh. With Me, which is... You know, King Hu, Taiwanese, more artful films, but also uh, an absolute legendary film of the period. Come Drink With Me is uh, is just superb. Also from the Shaw Brothers Library and um, kind of the original great Wuxia art film. Oh, has a lot of mm. John John Ford influences in it and mm, has, this has this tremendous uh, documentary on here, Cinema Hong Kong Sword Fighting which is all about the Wuxia genre and everything that, that's kind of built it into this the cinematic um, icon that it is really tremendous. Wonderful, wonderful interviews in here, including Samuel Hung and, and David Chang and, and Lark, Lau Carl Young and Gordon Liu. It's pretty great. Chang Pei Pei. Yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, if you're uh, a fan a of very, stuff like I am, boy. A very, very young Jackie Chan may or may not be. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole thing about that. Either. Yeah. Don't, don't, hey, don't look too hard. Don't look too hard. Pei Pei yeah. Pei says it's not him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look too hard. I'm going to go what she says. And then uh, we got a couple of we got. I'm going to make a rhyme here. We got Robocop and Robocops. Yeah, Robocop in 4K uh, is is fantastic. Uh, it's it includes you know the uh, the director's cut and the theatrical cut, so you get them both in 4K. It's in a steel book, and um, I would watch the director's cut because it includes stuff that's really funny and never should have been rated NC-17 to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and all the extras that have been previously released for that, plus Rogue Cops and Racketeers, two crime thrillers by Enzo Castellari, the big racket and the heroin busters. I am not a huge fan of these Italian crime films from this period, but I know a lot of people are, and uh, they're they're intense. It's kind of like you know Giallo for crime, but yeah. you know it's 1970s. We talked about 1970s European films earlier. Kind of the same thing here, made in 1976 and 77. Um, it's just, you know, Italian cop movies, but they, they restored them beautifully. There's a lot of great extras on here, which are all just sort of, um, lavishing praise on this genre. They got a new interview with, with Castellari, who clearly thinks that he's still really amazing. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that is entertaining in and of itself. So, um, comes a little booklet too. Nice, nice double feature for the Castellari fans. Fantastic. Our, uh, I think that's it, Tim. Is that it? Is that the show? That's the show. So welcome back, and um, you know, looks like we're kind of getting back to the out of the out of this uh, pandemic stuff. Uh, our school district is suspending a lot of the uh, mandatory testing for older students and staff members. So I take that as a harbinger that things may change for everybody else pretty soon. Good, 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 good. Uh, outstanding. Right. So uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Top Gun. Probably going to be cleaning up uh, at the box office for the what? What next? Two, three sure. weeks. I, 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 I give it that. Yeah. Um, uh, and everything will sort of like stay out of the way. Maybe by the time we get to the middle of, in the June, something like that, uh, be and, room for another movie. And by the time people listen to this, boy, I hope they will have watched the uh, first half of this uh, season of Stranger Things four because Sherman's going to kill it. Oh, Sherman, Sherman. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you see all those pictures of him at the premiere? 
I uh, did. And, wearing, wearing, wearing a suit that nobody has that has any business looking that good in. <laughs> that was nuts. That was nuts. That's great. Cow. Yeah. Look for Fantastic. our buddy Sherman Augustus playing Lieutenant Colonel Sullivan. Uh, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, uh, it's all good. good. All right. All right. See you next uh, next time, everybody. Thank you.